You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in our rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The original name of the file was just Roof. I had no other information about it. So... I pulled that down and started looking at it and immediately found out that there was sort of like a just a calling card within the, the binary itself. That's Alan West. He's a researcher with Akamai's Security Intelligence Response Team. The research we're discussing today is titled The Dark Frost Enigma, an Unexpectedly Prevalent Botnet Author Profile. I could immediately tell that it was some sort of DDoS. Um, we had originally thought it was some sort of variant of Gathkit. Uh, so then I just looked up the name within the file, and it led to a bunch of different uh, social medias and proofs of the attacks. We eventually found a GitHub. We, he had his Twitter, his Instagram, YouTube, streaming services. He even had like Urban Dictionary posts and uh, just like he had rap music out there. It was crazy. So. I just started pulling down as much as I could, and it started to paint a picture of somebody who just felt untouchable and was actually profiting from this service, despite the lack of originality that I eventually found within the code. So so before we dig into some of the details of, of our, uh, our, our alleged perpetrator here... Um, can you just give us a quick overview as to you know what exactly folks are offering botnets to do out there? Sure. Yeah. So um, DDoS for hire is the focus of this guy's um, sort of scheme. Uh, he, in the past, he had also done some, you know, spamming services, uh, just simple like text spamming. But so for in this particular case, he was doing DDoS for hire. So people would essentially give him targets uh, of, you know, either companies or custom servers for games that they were some for some reason angry at or it was like a competitor. They wanted to take those offline for various purposes. And, you know, he would train the botnets on them. And then, you know, there's obviously other purposes for botnets that were outside of this one. So like this guy didn't do any sort of like crypto mining or, you know, various purposes like that. But yeah, his main stick was DDoS for hire. 
I have to say, I, I, I'm going to quote from uh, the research that you published here because uh, I love the the deadpan nature of this uh, sentence. It, it, you, you write, The fascinating story of the Dark Frost botnet introduces us to a perplexing threat actor whose success rate and originality level do not align. That's a great introduction to this character. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was, that was sort of the the line that inspired the rest of it, essentially. Mm. It was just like... We, we're all sitting there like, how is this guy so successful? This Like he has over 400 nodes in his botnet and he's taking down all these different services online. We rarely get this good of a look into the um, sort of operations because he just offered it all up. And when we come through the code, there's like not that much special about it. And we eventually found all the different kinds of malwares that he ripped off. But it, yeah, it was just, it was a very perplexing that you can be so <laughs> successful with such little effort and obviously like a lack of knowledge of the ability to get in trouble for it even. Right. Walk us through your journey here as you go through the, the discovery process for figuring out who we're dealing with here. Can you, can you share that story with us? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, it honestly was not difficult at all <laughs> to figure out who it was. Um, mm. we typically run, uh, what's called strings on all the binaries we get just so we can see some like human readable text within it. And um, when I go through, I look for interesting strings within it so that I can sort of do my due diligence to see if somebody else has already published on it. And so obviously one of the strings that popped out was this guy's calling card. We're not trying to directly attribute him, so I can't really say it, Mm. but um, I just looked that up and I started finding social media accounts. And then I sort of, because of that, I went to Maltigo and I started using that and found a ton more stuff. Um, and yeah, it didn't seem like there was much talk about this guy in particular, despite there being multiple samples that we've had over the past like year or two. Um, so just wanted to look into it a bit more and learn more about this guy. And what did you learn? I learned that he's a young 20s most likely from America guy uh, who claims to have a couple years of experience in like networking. And I learned that uh, he has a couple different, you know, friends within the hacker world, but he's been like somewhat unsuccessful in starting his own like hacking group around it. He originally was just doing this for sort of the, the, the glamour and the fame of it, uh, trying to do like streaming services and stuff like that, trying to get a little bit of attention to his Twitter, stuff like that. But then he started offering it up uh, for the money value of it. And it seems to be a little bit successful for him, but he hasn't really been able to get anybody else to join him in this effort so far. Does it seem though he has many customers? It seems like he has a fair amount of customers. He published a couple pictures of his bank account, uh, which, you know, could be completely fake. So I'm, I'm really just working with the information that he's given. He's certainly done a lot of attacks. I just don't know which ones are just him wanting to do it. Like some of the original ones, you can definitely tell where that. And then some of the later ones, I'm, I'm not so sure if he was paid for it or not. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. 
Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. What are some of the technical details of the botnet that he's cobbled together here? Yeah, so he, uh, I believe it was written in C, and he had a ton of different attacks within it. Uh, there was a couple layer seven and layer four attacks. Um, there was a couple that stood out to us as strange. One was called ZGO flood, which through our testing didn't seem to be working, unfortunately. But yeah, there was a lot of tests offered. Uh, we chose to benchmark the UDP one because it was the most straightforward and reliably worked. And for that one in particular, he just, he didn't even pad it with like random bits or anything. He just put the string U over and over, depending on the size that you put into it. That eventually actually slowed down the output because he had to generate all those U's for every packet that he sent out. And <laughs> yeah, so it, not very mind-bending things. Uh, the only thing that really tripped us up in the investigation was that there was this part of it that was when we were trying to run it and like connect to our own C2 after we patched what was the C2 IP address within the code back to one that we owned. We were trying to send commands to ourselves, basically, uh, to attack ourselves. And uh, the one tricky thing was that when we connected to it, it would do all the checks. It would report back to the C2 what kind of device we had, what kind of sample, uh, what kind of malware it was. But then it would theoretically just bail out. It would uh, you know, kick back to the terminal and say, uh, couldn't find a valid watchdog driver uh, bailing out. And so I got, I got kind of stuck on that for a day or two. And I was just like, why, why is this happening? Like I installed watchdog drivers. Like I tried a bunch of different things. Then eventually we just sent uh, the word ping to it through the open netcat listening. And it allowed us to send commands. So it was, it spun up a process in the background just by telling us that it had bailed. And literally there was nothing to figure out. It was just <laughs> start sending commands. So not dealing with a high level of sophistication here, is it fair to say? Exactly. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't suspect there was much like high level of sophistication. I think the only part that he really wrote himself was the C2 and it's actually publicly offered on his GitHub. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, the, the story was still interesting despite him being not that sophisticated because it did show like, you don't need to be that sophisticated to have a bunch of success here. And it sort of shines light on the fact that security companies and just companies in general need to like sort of reframe who they are protecting themselves against. It's really easy to be like, Oh, I'm not a target of, uh, you know, a nation state actor. It's like, well, this guy is clearly not a nation state actor, but he can still do significant damage. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And in terms of the, the code that, that he's using here, is this is stuff borrowed from previous campaigns generally? Yeah. So we found them to be mostly Bashlight offshoots. And uh, originally it came up as Gafkit just mainly because of a couple strings that matched. But I had found a couple samples online of uh, Qbot. It was like a DDoS-specific Qbot. And 
when I'm talking about Cuba, I'm talking about um, not the Windows like Trojan. I'm talking about um, the Bashlight descendant, which is mm. you know kind of confusing. But I had found a couple online, especially this one called Mortem. It was Mortem Cubot, which is apparently a ripoff of something called Batman. So you know it's all all sort of convoluted, but. Um, <laughs> that, that's what I had thought because I saw a lot of similarities in the code and what I was seeing in the assembly. And then, you know, didn't publish on that. But then later we found his GitHub and it literally had that exact malware strain along with five others in one of um, his repositories. So, yeah, it's, it's a bunch of Qbot conglomerates um, with, I think, some ties to Gafkit as well. Does this person's bravado stand out? I mean, it strikes me that... Um, a lot of folks who are in this business do what they can to kind of fly over the radar, and, and this person is doing the opposite. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, especially with like younger people uh, that are getting into the scene, they don't sort of understand the implications of what they're doing. You know, some of them don't even care if they get caught, and then others, you know, like you said, try to hide what they're doing. This was a case that took it like a step further because he was so confident in the fact that he used like a fake name and allegedly a fake social security number to register all this stuff that he just made as many accounts as he could to try to get famous. And you can't be a criminal and be famous. (laughs) (laughs) A notorious perhaps. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned that we think that this person is, is from the United States. I mean, that's another interesting uh, element to me because typically I think of a lot of these operators are in a part of the world where they're out of reach of Western law enforcement. And I would imagine that uh, this person could find themselves in peril just because, you know, they're not in some country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> There's a lot of baffling parts about it like that where it's just like, what is he thinking? Um, why would you make it this easy? Um, but yet he's still active. So, uh, you know, that there's something to be said about that as well. What are your recommendations? I mean, you mentioned that people need to be aware that these sorts of operators are out there. The types of things that this person is up to, how difficult it is, how difficult is it to respond to this sort of thing? Right. So I think if you have DDoS protection, such as Akamai, um, you're clearly safe. Um, but I think a lot of people don't put a sort of emphasis on that because he's not doing anything that is new. He's not really amplifying his attacks other than just making really big packets. <laughs> so, you know, like standard DDoS protection would protect against this. And um, it's not a priority for people with just small gaming servers or just, you know, websites they run for a small business, things like that. So, you know, it needs to be one of those that we talk about. You know, DDoS is not dead. It's really on the rise, actually. And it can cause a lot of damage and is kind of a booming industry. So uh, you just got to protect yourself in the ways that are known. For you and your colleagues who sort of have an eye on a person like this, is this... Is this the kind of thing you you keep an eye on and and wonder is this person going to go dark sometime or you know do, are we going to see a press release from the FBI? Um, so I definitely I'm going to be looking at him moving forward uh, just out of sheer interest. Uh, he hasn't yeah. posted anything about this, uh, and then we do for some of these actors, you know, we track their specific binaries within um, 
you know, our, our background work of our honeypots without revealing too much information about that. So we'll be able to see the new stuff he puts out. Occasionally we track C2s. Um, I'm not sure if we're doing it for this one. We'll, we'll be able to look for new activity and obviously monitor his social medias because I'm sure he'll tell us. But yeah, I, as far as law enforcement goes, that's uh, not something I know at this time. Our thanks to Alan West from Akamai for joining us. The research is titled The Dark Frost Enigma, an unexpectedly prevalent botnet author profile. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.